0: This is the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, episode 14. I'm your host, Wes McAdams, and on today's show, Sam Dominguez, James Sumners, and I discuss the look and feel of our religion and worship. The sponsor of today's episode is Campaign Capitol Hill, which is a grassroots effort by Churches of Christ aimed at raising awareness in the brotherhood on the fine line between politics and religion, preaching the gospel to our nation's leaders, focusing on repentance and God's standard of morality, and reaching lost souls with the saving grace of Jesus Christ. You can find Campaign Capitol Hill on Facebook at facebook.com slash campaigncapitolhill or on their website at campaigncapitolhill.com. There you'll find more information on how to join the march for God's word. And now let's jump right into our discussion. I think each of us to
1: some degree or another has a mental and emotional pers- perspective of what we think religion is and so we kind of like we like our religion to sound a particular way we like it to look a particular way uh, it affects how churches look how the buildings look but it you know it can even come down to which translations we prefer you know uh, james was talking about a co-worker who We were discussing the removal of some of the archaic language in particular uh, translations, and his comment was, well, why would you even want to do that? Because to him, the archaic language makes it sound religious, or at least more religious. And it, it struck me that I think each of us have kind of an issue with that, where we start to manipulate our theology in order to fit whatever aesthetic of Christianity that we kind of prefer, mm-hmm. you know, and some people prefer the very uh, high church, archaic language, old sounding, uh, you know, and some people then go to the complete opposite extreme and they they like to have almost no sentence structure, you know, and, and paraphrase and this and that and the other thing. And uh, is that actually something that's healthy for us to be doing is it something that that you guys deal with at all?
2: Well, you know, whenever I'm studying the Bible, it doesn't matter what translation I'm reading, um I'm usually cross-referencing to something else. I mean, I've been using the New American Standard for the last the last 10 years or so as my main my main Bible, but then recently I've been cross-referencing a lot of things with the ESV, and then um, before before the New American Standard, I spent my time in the NIV, and so you know I'm I've used a lot of them, and I never try to rely on any one specific language or understanding or a specific verbiage because um, because sometimes you you're trying to I, I want to get a better understanding of what is actually being said. There's lots of things that we can do to to get to glean more and glean a better understanding from the word but but sticking with one kind of set of uh, ways of reading things uh, sometimes i think probably can limit us from our understanding
0: yeah i think i think it all boils down to the the appearance of things and the substance of things i mean on the on the one hand you have and i would even put that in the same category you know like king james reading or even like the american standard the old american standard you know with the these and the thou's and the old english that's really a. For the most part, there there are actually some some substance issues there too, because you know, like with the the these and the thous and and the ye and the um, these types of words, that um, they they also denote the plural and the singular. And so there there was some substance to that, but. We've moved away from that way of speaking, and so it, really, most people prefer that because of the, like you said, like the way that it sounds. It just sounds more religious. It sounds more uh, reverent. It sounds, you know, we can attach all kinds of adjectives, adjectives to it, but it boils down to they just like the way that it sounds. And so, on the one hand, you have that versus the substance of things, And but are you getting the right meaning? Are you understanding it? And that's one thing that really bothers me when I hear people say, well, I don't like that translation, or I like this translation, or I don't like the way that verse reads in this translation. And it's like, wait, what difference does it make if you like the way that it reads in that <laughs> translation? Well, then what matters is, does is it accurate? Is it is it teaching the right thing? Is it true to the original Greek or the Hebrew in the Old Testament? Uh, that's what really matters. It doesn't really matter whether you like it or not. Um, but I think at the same time, some translations go so far, like you have these paraphrase versions, where sometimes they might get the overall, the overarching meaning, that, and, and accurately do what they were setting out to do and paraphrase things. But one thing that we sometimes in our effort to do away with archaic language we actually do away sometimes with theologically significant language and so you have words like redemption and reconciliation and justification these words might be seen by some as being overly religious sounding words or archaic words and so in the swing to the opposite extreme they've said well what's a what's a word we use every day to replace those and it's like well no you can't I mean because you're 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 not only throwing away a word we don't use outside of church, for the most part, you're also throwing away a a theologically significant word, and you're doing damage to your understanding of the gospel.
1: You know, as as we go through our studies and as we uh, try and gain a better understanding of what the original languages were, what the greater meanings were, you know, a lot of times our English translations have maybe done us a disservice by creating these words that have singular religious uses when the original language was using a more common term to express a broader thought and whatnot. Right. But at the same time, there are very specific religious concepts. Mm-hmm. And by trying to uh, twist our theology to suit, uh, you know, the our tone of ear, uh, uh, for lack of a better way to think about it, is to sacrifice the meaning of the Scripture for... Uh, in the same way as though we we wanted people to manipulate the content of the Scripture, you know, to say, to soothe my itching ear, I want mm-hmm. you to tell me what I want to hear. And sometimes we say, well, I want to hear the truth, but I want to be told in a way that is pleasing to me, or I mm-hmm. want it to be presented in a way that is pleasing to me. You know, uh, there are a lot of people in the world who have uh, converted uh, to... Some of the uh, old old church tile religions, uh, Catholicism, High Church is what I tend to uh, think mm-hmm. of it as, uh, Catholicism and different different other uh, types of religions like that, because they like the symbology, they like the the structure of the worship, they, because these things seem significantly religious. I guess mm-hmm. that's another way to think it. We we seem to apply added significance to these things that fit these aesthetics while simultaneously failing to recognize that they sometimes mask the fact that we're not actually participating in that worship. We are not offering our own worship. We are instead watching someone else off- offer worship for us, and we are not being accurate to what God wants us to be, and we've let our theology be twisted by mm-hmm. by this itching ear of, of how we want our faith to
0: appear. And it really is, and and this goes all the way back, I mean, all the way back to to Rome and and how Christianity over the years was warped into something that it, it wasn't in the beginning it became it became ritualism and so as as Christianity went uh further and further into the Gentile world into the pagan world they adopted so many pagan rituals because when they would preach the gospel in an area, and then they would tell them to worship the one true God, and they began worshiping the one true God that didn't feel religious enough. And so they adopted things like lighting of candles and uh, and having priests. Most people don't understand that it really wasn't from Judaism that they borrowed that the Catholic Church got the priesthood that they have, it really was from paganism more than it was Catholicism, in fact, or than Judaism. In fact, the Catholic encyclopedia uh, talks about that, how things like the candles and um, the, uh, the pre, well, maybe I don't know if that, that, that alluded to or, or said specifically, but things like the music uh, instruments, these things felt religious to the pagan. They felt religious to the idol worshiper because they were used to having those in their pagan temples. and so it didn't feel Christian worship didn't feel religious. and so they they borrowed those things. and so we see that so much in um in our culture is what feels religious in your culture and then dragging that into Christianity um, and then acting as if going through these religious steps or these religious rituals is actually pleasing to God. But God has never been pleased by ritualism, even if... The ritual itself, for instance, taking the Lord's Supper, even if the ritual itself was God-prescribed, just going through the motions of doing something has never been pleasing to God. It's, it's going through the motions, it's doing what needs to be done with a heart for God, with faith.
2: What is one of the most significant things about when the Bible actually went into print? I mean, it, it, was, taking, it was taking the Word of God and making it public and making it accessible um, to a degree, uh, the fact that so many people could finally actually read the Word of God and it wasn't restricted to specific people and uh, people of specific understanding and people of specific knowledge. Um, and, that's, and that's a lot of the beauty of, of the Bible is it's not written for academics. It's not written for um, people of, of uh, um, knowledge and understanding. It's written for people. It's written for everyone to know. It's written for everybody to hear and everybody to grow in their faith. It's written and and given to all of mankind so that we can know the mind of, of God, not so that we can be academics, not so that we can have some um, some high understanding and and fill ourselves up and, and make ourselves feel proud that, you know, I can speak this way and I'm, you know, you get the kind of... Uh, uh, I don't know what the... I get this shoulder thing going on over here. <laughs> I can't express it over there. They the, can't see that uh, on yeah, the they podcast. they can't see that. But, you know, it, it's not about what... It's not about um, how I can sound when I read it. It's not about what it sounds like when I hear it. But it's about what it does in my heart. It's about what it does in my life. It's about when I read it, does it transform me? Am, am I listening to it and realizing that this is the Word of God... And God, who is, uh, in the expression of the Bible itself, uh, we are like his spouse. And so it's like his love letter to us to say, hey, this is what what my bride looks like that would be pleasing to me. This is how my bride would please me.
1: So what do you say, then, to the person who would claim that the uh, more pleasing aesthetics of their uh, Christianity, of their view of Christianity, is what moves them? You know, mm-hmm. there are some people who, well, I just can't get into acapella singing, uh, you know, but I can be so moved by the performance of someone else, mm-hmm. Well, my singing is so poor nobody wants to hear me, I can be so much more moved by a worship service listening to someone else who is a professional singer, or who at the very least is you know, much better than me. You know, there are a whole lot of people who attach the benefit of worship to how they are emotionally moved by the performance. Mm-hmm. So how how do you communicate to them that that's not what you're talking about right there? You
2: know, one of the most beautiful sounds I have ever heard um, is someone who can't sing sing with all their heart, and and it's hard for me to say that in some ways because I love to sing and I love to sing well. Okay, I'm not proud of myself. Well, maybe what well, that's not the point. But I, love, <laughs> I like to sing. I mean, and I don't sing quietly. Um, sometimes Shayla can't hear herself sing because I like to sing out loud and I like to sing with all my heart, but, but I, I've been trained to sing. I've, I've, uh, I've gone to school and I've, I've trained to sing. I've trained to understand music. I've trained, been trained to create music. Uh, I understand these things. And so it's, in some ways it's different for me. And sometimes it's a distraction for me because of my knowledge and understanding but when I hear someone else who loves God so much that they don't care what anybody else thinks about how they sing, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, uplifting sound to my ears. I can't, I mean, I was thinking the same thing just as you were talking is can you, I've heard people who, who speak poorly but love God and, and, and that, uh, and then when they speak and uh, speak the word of God, how uplifting it is to hear them speak, even though they can't speak very well. They they show their love for God, and it just it just overwhelms me to see someone who's courageous enough to let
1: God speak. But but is for that them. is that courage? See that that's the thing that gets me. We all, we word it in terms like that. We we describe them as being courageous, or, oh well, I was so proud of you for just singing out, even though you sound terrible, you know, kind of thing. And it's like this backhanded compliment. I'm not saying that's what you did, but you know, I've, I've heard that kind of thing. And, and the truth of the matter is when we study the word about how we offer up our praise, there's literally nothing about the musicality of it. There's nothing whatsoever about how it mm-hmm. sounds. There is only mm-hmm. the spirit with which it is offered and its pleasingness to God and its edification to those around us. Now, edification, not enjoyment. Mm-hmm. You know that that's the key difference there. It is supposed to it is supposed to edify those around us, as is our prayer and and our teaching. But our singing is nothing like that, and and so we've we've created this mindset that praise to God is a musical thing, and it and it is benefited by greater understanding and whatnot. When the Scripture really never gives us any any direction like that, it is simply a matter of the heart. It is to be driven by a spirit in gratitude and obs on submission to God, and that's the extent of what we're told. And so, you know, maybe rather than complimenting someone who's singing out despite how they sound, maybe we should recognize that how they sound isn't what's important and isn't worth commenting on at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if if it is the aesthetics of our worship that is moving us, if it is the external things... If it is the emotionality of of our worship that is moving us, if, if it is the worship at all that is moving us, then we're being moved by the wrong thing. What ought to move us, like you said, is the awe of God. If God is the object of our worship, then He is what should motivate us to worship. Our faith in Him, our seeing Him for who He is, should move us to worship. And so when people say, well, you know, I just can't get into that, or, or that just doesn't stir my heart, or, or whatever, it's like, well, wait... Well, I, I don't understand that. that It's not supposed to stir your heart. Your, your heart is supposed to be stirred by God, and then this is a response to that. The, the your, worship is a response to it. Your worship comes
1: from having already been moved.
0: Yes, exactly. It is
1: not something to move us, and that's that's why Paul's description of what our worship does is simply that for each other it is edifying. It is building up to each other. The whole being moved is what happened first, that was supposed to be what happened when you were studying in the word. That was supposed to be what happened when you recognize God for who he is and what he's done for us. That's when you're moved. And what do you move to? You're moved to worship. And you then worship in the manner that God has requested from us, that he has described as being pleasing to him.
2: You know, one of the things that I've been spending the last year, um, in some ways kind of on aesthetics, I guess you could say, with my with my multi Bible translations and um, uh, just messing with a lot of stuff and trying to understand uh, the Word of God more. And I've uh, been printing uh, Bibles for uh, that are without chapters and verses and things like that. And that has been Heading,
1: a, headings, chapter and verse headings,
2: chapter <laughs> uh, and verse headings. So all the text is there, <laughs> but uh, but I'm not. Uh, I'm I'm just removing the numbers that that are uh, not part of the actual inspired um, translation. And and that's been a pleasure to do and to study and to understand um, a lot of stuff behind that, and also to be able to just read the Bible as a book, and and kind of get more of a um, an understanding of just listening to it flow and stop trying to figure out how many chapters I can get through and and just read it like I would read anything else because I don't even know where I'm at in the book, so I can't just stop and say, well, I'm at the end of chapter five. I'm just I just read until uh, just like any other book because I'm a person who actually puts books down in the middle of the chapter, but um, but I just read it and and that has been a blessing and a, uh, something that I've truly enjoyed being able to do. Um, but uh, um, a lot of it, I mean there's a lot of things around that 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 you could get into some aesthetics and things like that. I don't understand a lot of those things, but I enjoying reading the scriptures is something that we should do um, and it doesn't necessarily mean like you know, Um, some of us like um, leather-bound Bibles, some people like uh, hard book um, Bibles, some people like... I mean, these are some other things that we could talk about as well, but you know, the, the point is, what is it that you really want to get out of reading the Bible? Why are you reading it in the first place? What is it that really matters? What matters is that you read the Bible to know the mind of Christ, know the mind of God, so that you can follow Him, and and do what you can to uh, to do what he's pleasing to God.
0: Don't don't you all think that there is at least to some degree, and I I'm not accusing anybody else of that. I'm just saying for me that this this could easily be my tendency. Don't you think that there could be um, somewhat of legalism attached to this idea mm-hmm. that. People say things like, you know, we we could all easily say, well, I, I don't feel like I've worshipped unless I did such and such, or I don't really feel like I've read the Bible unless it was out of a, a out of a you know a leather bound Bible, or I don't really feel like I've I've really been to church unless we did such and such, um, and it's not a matter of I, I want to be pleasing to God or whatever. It's a matter of well, I don't feel like I I, I checked that off the list. I don't feel like I could I could boast in having done what I was supposed to do, or or boast in this this aspect it, it doesn't make me feel completed or it doesn't make me feel whatever because i haven't again that that ritualism lends itself to legalism and the idea that that we are we are somehow religious and and good people because we've done it this way and it makes us feel like we are accomplished and i don't know that we should really come away with it, the gospel, Christianity, and having worshiped the God who has given himself for us, I don't know that that should—that the feeling should be when we walk away from worshiping him or the worship assembly. I, I don't know that that feeling should be one of accomplishment more than appreciation for his accomplishment. And if... If we're looking for a sense of accomplishment, and I think that's a lot of times what we're looking for, I want to feel like I've accomplished something here today. Um, and, and I think with Bible reading, it can be the same thing. All we're concerned about is getting through two or three chapters this week, you know, um, and, and I like this Bible because it makes me feel more accomplished. If that's the feeling that we're looking for, then we're, we're, we're basing our religiosity on our own accomplishments rather than on the cross. Well, think, think about it this way. When you're reading your Bible—
1: you don't see the binding. You don't see the gold gilt on the outside of the page. All you see is the text. When it's sitting on the shelf, mm-hmm. you see that beautiful calf skin leather. You see that gold gilt. You see that bright red bookmark. It looks so pretty. It looks so good. It looks so religious. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a little bit of gold guilt to put on the outside of our worship, mm-hmm. because in truth... That's all we're doing for God. You know, I show up on Sunday morning. I might even show up on Sunday evening and some other stuff like that. I might even come on to, to a Wednesday night Bible class or something. Mm-hmm. But those are that's all we have to do with God. And because we are so limited in our engagement with God, it feels very unsatisfying when we only do it in the biblically subscribed way. And so we want to add a little bit to it. I want to shiny that puppy up because I want it to feel more significant than it was. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, God's instructions for us are that we be doing these things all day, every day, that mm-hmm. we are going to be lifting praises to Him anytime we're cheerful mm-hmm. about anything. We're praying to Him about anything and everything. All of these things that we tri- typically try and bind up inside the quote-unquote church service are things we're supposed to be engaging in every single day, and we're supposed to be in God's Word every single day. And the truth of the matter is you won't see any of these bright, shiny covers we slap on the outside of stuff if you're actually engaged in it. And a biblically accurate, a biblically pleasing, or a God-pleasing worship doesn't need any of these extra accessories we try Mm -hmm. and slap on it. It doesn't need that spray paint of gold on the outside. It doesn't need to be flowered up. It doesn't need to be shiny. It doesn't need to be chrome.
0: It just needs to be pleasing to God because that's all we care about. And and the fact that we need that in order to feel like we've worshiped God proves that there's something wrong there. We're not seeing God for who He is. If if we really understood what it is to stand in or bow in more appropriately, to 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 fall on our knees before the God of heaven, that would be enough for us to be so overwhelmed that we'd say, well, wh- what could you add to that? You know, one of the things that we haven't really touched on yet, but, but is the way that we dress in worship. And it's really interesting the way that that's changed over the years. Um, we now, a lot of people, I won't say most people, because it's starting to change again. But but currently, a lot of people feel like, well, you need to wear your quote-unquote Sunday best. You need to wear your very best clothes, the best clothes that you can afford, because that's the only thing appropriate to come before God in. Well, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on that, number one. But number two, it's really interesting that when that trend first started— people were very against that preachers were very against that i read an article that alexander campbell wrote um, and campbell preached against that full force he said okay now i'm not saying you should wear dirty clothes but that would be more appropriate than wearing the finest finery than, than treating worship like a talent show because our outward man should reflect our inward man and we don't need to come before God pompous and, and ha- a- acting as if we are something when really we are nothing. The only appropriate posture to come before God, the only appropriate clothing is sackcloth and ashes, so to speak.
1: Well, we don't demonstrate our reverence for God by how we dress, but the answer to that is also that we don't compensate by being irreverent right worship
0: right absolutely
1: you know and and it is each our own responsibility mm-hmm. to ensure that we are being reverent to god mm-hmm. now you don't have greater reverence with a tie but you might definitely be irreverent when you just wear whatever you happen to slap on because coming to worship doesn't mean anything more to you than going right. out anywhere else you're treating it casually you are treating it casually and and that is that is once again coming from you, coming mm-hmm. from your heart. And mm-hmm. it's it has nothing to do with the clothes. Mm-hmm. In truth, they're merely the representation of what's coming out of your heart. You know, right. they're they're the fruit that you are demonstrating to people.
2: Yeah, you know, just thinking about this made me all this discussions made me think, what was what would we look at if we were if we were transported back into the the time, the first century church, and we went to uh somebody's house to worship God, would we feel like would we feel like we've worshipped God today? Well, I went to somebody's house and we sang a bunch of songs. It was kind of like a Devo. It wasn't like worship. It was like <laughs> a Devo. I mean, you can't call that worship because it was at somebody's house and we sang a bunch of uh, short songs that you know we don't usually sing in our worship service and and things like that. Um, can you? I mean, because that that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, just to think about how that we separate things so much because we we. We try to, like you said earlier, lock ourselves into this this time period and this specific time and the way that we do certain things and the aesthetic of that. But if you if you go to somebody's house, a lot of the things that we do are completely different. If we go to if you come to my house, we're not going. If we were to worship at my house, it would be very different from what we do. uh, Sitting in a bunch of rows here, we'd be sitting around a bunch of couches and and talking and and speaking, kind of like what we're doing right now. In this room, and and then uh, and spending some time in the Word of God, and singing songs, and praising Him, and praying, um, and uh, you know, and and it's a little bit different dynamic than what we're accustomed to when it comes to the normal way that we do things and how we think.
1: I think very often, a a lack of resources very quickly demonstrates to us what is an expedient and what is not, mm-hmm. and what we are doing. To please our aesthetic desires for our our religion, uh, rather than simply doing it because it's what God uh, wants of us and what we what we can't help ourselves from doing mm-hmm. in worship of God because of uh, uh, what we know of Him and what He's done for us. And there's a lot of times where you know it doesn't take uh, being insisting on these and those in our text or insisting on a robe on on a, on a priest or gilt crosses hanging on the walls or something like that. A funny to hat. be to be guilty of he just needs to wear a funny hat. <laughs> yeah, we're having a funny hat. To be guilty of of demanding a pleasing aesthetic mm-hmm. to our theology and, and you know, we just need to be aware of it.
0: Yeah. And don't you think that that part of it is because I want to be able to judge whether or not you are being religious or not, whether or not you're reverent because I can't see your heart. And so therefore I, I want to be able to to create this Checklist so to speak of things that um, that that I can I can look at in you because those things are quantifiable and we don't want to have conversations with people about their heart we don't want to get to know people we don't want to actually have community and actual real fellowship and communion with one another we just want to be able to again it's all very surface it's all very surface and and instead of focusing on those things which rightly might be a reflection of what's in a person's heart. If if I'm treating the 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 worship assembly casually, well, that's going to be reflected in things like how I dress and how I sing and how I pray and, and how reverent I am when I pray. Those things will be reflected, but if we only focus on those things, then we end up putting Band-Aids on the real issue, and we've got to really get down to the heart and, and really get to know each other. If if one of you guys wore something that I wouldn't wear to the worship assembly, I wouldn't assume that it was a lack of reverence because I know your heart. I know you guys because I you're my brothers. I know you, and and I wouldn't even question that, and I wouldn't assume that it had anything to do with lack of reverence.
1: Well, sometimes I think, you know, like that fig tree putting out its leaves when it didn't have any fruit. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we do these things, whether it be how we dress or simply how we change our character and our personality mm-hmm. when we are among our fellow Christians and whatnot. You know, we we do these things to mask the fact that we are not actually changed. Mm-hmm. You know, that we are still conforming to the world. And we think that by having a pleasing aesthetic, we can present ourselves as Christians, even though, you know, scripturally the only thing that it ever talks about of people being able to see and know about your faith is your love. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole lot more complicated than just putting a shiny coating on the outside of something.
0: Mm-hmm. We're, pardon the metaphor, but putting lipstick on a pig, you know, and at the end of the day, I mean, we, we've got to be converted. We've got to be changed and transformed you know, it, by the renewing of our minds, uh, but it's a lot easier just to slap some lipstick on it, just to put a band aid on it, just to dress it up and make it look nice, and and then it we feel like it's religious, we feel like it's godly when that's not what God's looking for.
2: So we want to have, we want to act like we're doing Christian things without having a Christian heart, without putting the effort in to develop, develop in ourselves the spirit of of God to. To fill ourselves with with what God desires for us, you know, your your lesson this morning was talking about. Uh, um, part of what it was talking about was uh, was uh, what comes out of us is what defiles us in relationship to God and to other people, and and a lot of that also comes from the again one of the things that Sam's talking about right now is uh, the overflow. What you fill yourself with is what's going to come out. What you put into your heart is what's, What your heart is going to be full of. What is your heart full of? What are you putting into it? Is it really the Word of God, or is it a bunch of specific words and thoughts? And uh, We've got to make sure that what we're filling ourselves with is God's Word and not Wes's Word, not Sam's Word, not James's Word, not Cameron's Word, or anybody else's but God's.
1: When we're we're rebuilding ourselves, when we are taking out the old self and building up the new based on God's Word, it's not set dressing, you Mm -hmm. know? It's not like those those wooden crates that we built for VBS that uh, you know a kid tried to sit on one and I had to grab him real quick because it was going to fall right underneath him you know because there was no substance there.
0: It was cardboard, you know, but it, it looked, was
1: a cardboard yeah. box that looked like it was a wooden crate. And for a lot of us, that's what we do with our faith. We look like a wooden crate, but if someone ever sat on us we'd get crushed.
0: Right. And that, doesn't, and that doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean it's wrong to read out of the King James. It doesn't mean it's wrong to wear a suit and tie. But it does mean it's wrong to focus our attention on those things and to think that that's what Christianity looks like just because those things are there. Um, you know, I think about Colossians 3.17 where Paul tells them to sing. But in verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And richly. that's really what it comes down to. That's where all of this should come from, is that we are so filled up with the word of God and with our love for God that all... All of this is, as we've said, the overflow. A big thanks to all of our guests and to Cameron McEvoy for his help in the production of this show. And thank you to all of our listeners. We hope this discussion inspires you to have these kinds of spiritual discussions with people in your life. If you have a question or a topic you'd like for us to discuss, please call and leave us a short voicemail at 707-238-2216. That's 707-238-2216. Remember, we love you, God loves you, and we hope you have a wonderful day.